to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Once again, being recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor at Publishers Weekly, uh, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can give us a rating or leave us a comment on any of those podcasting platforms. Uh, please let us know. Uh, give us some feedback on whether we're doing it right or doing it wrong, because we'd love to hear from our listeners. All right. And this week on More to Come, Rest in Power, John Romita and Ian McGinty. Uh, and uh, Comics Broke Me. Graphic Novels and Libraries feature, our annual feature. Comings and goings around the business, Brooklyn Pro, uh, the Brooklyn Pride Minicon, and we're going to take a trip to your friendly neighborhood, Spider-Verse. Uh, rest in power. Well, uh, John Romita, uh, at the age of 93, well, life well lived. Um, the, as I put on Twitter, I think John Romita drew the two most iconic panels in Superhero history, the one of Spider-Man walking away from his costume and, a, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, uh, the one of, uh, Mary Jane MJ. Watson. Mm-hmm. Face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Yeah. So, um, yes. yeah. well, but yeah. I mean, he was the Spider-Man artist. Uh, he created, co- uh, co-created Mary Jane Watson, the Punisher, and he just, mm-hmm. he took over the book after Ditko left and was, uh, just, his work was flawless. Yeah, I mean, the, he, uh, you, you think of Ditko and you think of Romita. I mean, as a, as a fan, uh, and, I mean, I didn't know much about his later work or anything. Uh, I know John Romita as the guy that I discovered was doing Spider-Man after Ditko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I wasn't crazy about it. We're talking in the 1960s here. Uh, but it, over the, the next decade or so, uh, the character be, uh, is as much associated with Rita as with anyone. Oh yeah, and I mean he co-created the Vulture, Hammerhead, yeah. the Shocker, Hobgoblin, Robbie Robertson, George Stacy. Uh, he helped create Luke Cage. Um, he designed Wolverine. Uh, yeah. you name it. I mean the guy's car yeah. costume design was amazing, and by all accounts. He was a lovely human yeah. being. Like yeah. nobody, okay. I've yeah. I've never heard anyone say a bad yeah. word about John Romita Senior. Uh, the reason we say Senior is because his son John Romita Junior followed in yes. his uh, footsteps as an artist. He's yeah. actually one of the uh, most uh, popular, a star himself. Yeah, yeah. he's a, a big star. star. Yeah, just a star artist at yeah. Marvel, uh, mm-hmm. a co-creator of. Uh, and and um, and DC too. I guess yeah. his, and his dad did some work for DC as well. A little and, bit, a little yeah. Bit, well, yeah. I mean, Ramita's career went back. Obviously, mm. at his age, it did go back to the, uh, you know, just right after the the Golden Age. And um, his 
aside from creating Spider-Man, though, what he was best known for was he was the art director at Marvel. Like, uh-huh. Stan trusted him, and in the early 70s, he bought him into the bullpen to be the art director, and uh, his wife, Virginia, was kind of the den mother of the bullpen. Hmm. I, I don't, I'm not sure what her... So they both worked for they Marvel. They both worked for Marvel, mm-hmm. and they both kind of just... It was kind of a little Mon Pa kettle, if you're old enough to get that <laughs> reference. What's a more modern reference for that, Kate? Well, I don't actually get the reference, so therefore I cannot give you (laughs) an interpretation of it. Well, when you say Ma and Pa Kettle, what does it sound? It's just what it sounds like. You don't even need to know what it is. It doesn't. And I should know that, and I do, but I'm forgetting what Ma and Pa Kettle, because it was like, these were like short stories about. No, no, maybe it was. There was just a series of movies that they showed on Channel 11 when I was growing up. Ma and Pa Kettle go to the circus or do this. It was just books. uh, Yeah, it's like our gang, I guess you could say. Anyway. I don't know. What's a comfy <laughs> couple? John Ramita. John and Virginia Ramita. They were the den mother and father, the scoutmasters of the Marvel bullpen. And uh, there's just the outpouring of testimonials about what a great mentor, friend, uh, craftsman, artist. Yeah. Just it's He's one of the absolute all-time great superhero a- artists. I mean, he's to me. I mean, he was one of that of that golden uh, lineup, that pantheon of Marvel artists that I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 71 years old. These are the guys: Don Ramita, Don Heck, of course, Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the guys that I look for every month, running around when I was buying comics, and you know, when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, the reason why. Is that um, his style was so pure and clean and uh, he brought a essential. different energy to the character than Dick. Mm-hmm. He did. He did. You know, and it t- Dick- took us a while to get used. Yeah, to, but took I, me a while to get used to it. Yeah, but I think Ditko's work was a lot quirkier. Obviously, it was quirkier. Ditko had a, an inherently noirish yes. feel in the way he crashed. Whereas I did find uh, me a much more pop. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I I think. I think it's really hard to it's it's really hard to give him an adjective to describe his work because it was just so clean, direct. Very clean. The storytelling was like you know frictionless. Great, pretty girls. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's he, like Kurt Swan also he, another artist. Yeah, like yeah. That. But he also he, he one thing he did maintain. I mean, uh, Dicko had a certain kind of energy, a dynamic, kinetic quality that he brought to Spider Man. That kind of didn't exist in other kinds of superheroes. Ramita could do that too in a different kind mm-hmm. of way. Spider-Man was just as dynamic. He really exploded off the page. Uh, he did great fight scenes. Um, he just did it in his own way, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was totally. just a little different from yeah. from what Ditko brought to it. Kate, did you have any? Well, what I wanted to say, Heidi, uh, time is. Uh, if you could move your mic just slightly further out from oh. your mouth because you're catching breath sounds. Okay. So I keep hearing. <sighs> okay. There we go. How's that? Is that better? That's better. Oh, yeah. It doesn't need to be super far okay. out. Just, yeah. There we go. A little cleaner sound that way. There we go. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, here's the thing. John Romita Sr.'s best days as a major artist were before my time. Um, I'm much more familiar with the work of his son. I'm sure that I have seen a lot of John Romita Sr. art and never known it was him. <laughs> That's probably true. 
was floating around. There are certain things I bet you you would recognize if you saw. I bet I would. Yeah, but I just well, wouldn't necessarily I, know it was him. Well, you know that paddle. The internet. You know yeah. the face at Tagger. You just hit the jackpot paddle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know. I probably, like I said, I probably know a lot of his panels. I yeah. just don't know they're his. Yeah. 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 Well, you yeah. know, there's no school to go to to learn all that stuff, and you, it isn't necessarily needed. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, uh, the week also. Uh, Prior to John Romita dying at age 93, after what all agree is a very fruitful and amazing, wonderful life, uh, but, you know, sad nonetheless that he left us, uh, last week we lost someone far too soon. Uh, artist Ian McGinty passed away at the age of 38. And mm-hmm. I gotta be honest, I knew Ian and I was shocked to find out he was 38 because he just seemed so young and youthful. Mm. Um, and, uh, he was best known, I guess, for, uh, the book that he did for Z2. That's what I knew. Which was, uh, Welcome. Welcome to Showside. Welcome to Showside, mm, which, which is original. Wacky. Wacky, wonderful. Oh, they be- made a- Beautiful illustrations. And yes. Drawing, and then he, he did a lot of work for Boom Comics, uh, but mostly on things like Adventure Time, Regular Show, um, you know, a lot of licensed work for Cartoon Network books. Cause he drew it a very cartoony style. And, um, you know, he passed away. And no, it's, it's only been said natural causes. So, I mean, when somebody dies that young, obviously you, you one question what happened. Uh, but his, his family has said it was natural causes, but no yeah. other details are given. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we, we think of, of people as not dying young unless something terrible happens, but something that ter- times the terrible that happens is a health condition you just didn't know you had. Right. And, um, well, Whatever the cause, it really touched the nerve. Ian was very, very popular mm. among his peers. He was very well known um, among the cartoonists of his generation, and especially those who I, I would. I, it wasn't until I was really writing about his death that I kind of realized that there was this whole Adventure Time era that seems to have passed a little bit. Mm, yeah. But uh, you know, the aughts were, or not the aughts, but the teens were really about, you know. Adventure Time, yeah. Steven Universe, mm-hmm. and um, all those shows were so immensely influential. And there was a lot of comics that a were lot based of indie on them. Art comics, and, and indie art, yeah, on. and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and so it was kind of this whole movement. So, so, and there's a lot of cartoonists who were of that generation doing that kind of work and love that kind of work. And you know, Ian was really popular in that crowd, and uh, it. He worked too hard, and his death, somebody, it was uh, the cartoonist uh, Shivana Suktio who uh, just posted uh, kind of just a, just, you know, I don't say cry for help, but just, you know, the pain of uh, losing someone that young who worked so hard and worked for not as much money as they should have made. And so somehow this hashtag comics broke me just spontaneously erupted 
over last weekend. And, uh, you know, there was one website that aggregated some of the tweet threads. There were long tweet threads mm. about, uh, the, you know, people's experiences with being mistreated and not being, being underpaid and burning out and abuse and harassment and all that. It was like 10,000 words. I mean, mm. it was, and that was half, that was like day one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's still going on and people are just posting these long threads about their, you know, very bad experiences. And really by extension, let's be honest, we've been talking about on this podcast for the life of this podcast, but there are a lot of publishing situations which uh, take advantage of young cartoonists yeah. and, and older cartoonists yeah. and all cartoonists, whether it's with a bad deal, with a bad rights deal, or with low page rates or with unreasonable deadlines. Mm. And, and I mean, quite frankly, sometimes with incompetent companies that, you know, can't make your work pay out because of their own failings. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, people Even write books that get lo- companies. Right. But I mean, they can be respectable and under the surface something went wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we just hear all these horror stories of writers and artists who spend years of their life on a book and the book just goes into development hell for a decade because the company shuts down and the rights go mm-hmm. into limbo. Yep. You know, it's, it's a precarious industry. And I mean, that's going on right now with some of the stuff at Aftershock. And, you know, mm-hmm. like they say they're not, uh, they're coming back, but okay. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it just happens all the time. And, but I gotta say, these stories were not just about, you know, companies that you think of. Um, there was st- cartoonists who work for Scholastic in there. Yeah. There's cartoonists who work for Abrams. I mean, yep. one of the saddest stories was that David Lasky story. Yeah. He yeah. says, uh, I won the, uh, uh, won the Eisner for best graphic novel and then, uh, but I never did a follow up because I was broke and my co-creator was homeless. Yeah. Now this is a situation that, I mean, how do you handle this? Where this is, this is a situation where did the book sell? I don't know whether the book sold or not. I mean, he got well, a, he got a moderately decent advance, but you still can't live on, even most book advances, you can't live I on. I mean, he says how much the advance was. Yeah, he says it was about $20,000. $20,000. And he had to people. split it with his artist. And he split it with, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, people are complaining about page rates, you know, as well they should, but book advances, are don't really for most books are not really intended for you to live on. So, right. But I mean I think it can be worthwhile to bring forth the acknowledgement that it's not. Absolutely. Right? Because Absolutely. sitting here in an office in Publishers Weekly, if you know the industry at all in that way from that angle, you know that book advances aren't enough to live on. But that might not be obvious to people getting into the industry who maybe Previous to this, we're just getting paid a page rate or something who think that the graphic novel is the promised land. And, you know, I mean, I respect their pain, even if I don't think that that's inherently something that particular thing is inherently something wrong with the industry. Um, you know, yeah, it's something you need to know that, yeah, that's not you're not going to be able to live on that. Yeah. But I mean, the question I, I mean, I think what a lot of people were calling for is that there should be, you should, you should, you know, you should be able to be paid fairly for your work. And yeah. Now the company that came in for the most naming and shaming was Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, people quoted the page rates there 
Uh, and they're not great, you know. I'm trying to find some of them, but I think it was like $150 for a page. $120 to $150 yeah, or something. For a page, which is nothing. Seem like... That doesn't, you know. I mean, yeah. granted, uh, well, I'm not going to say granted. I was going to say it's a simple style. It doesn't matter. You know what? When you're drawing on a licensed property, it's supposed to be on model. I mean, back mm-hmm. in my day when I worked for Disney, you got paid more working for Disney because you had to be on model. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not as as mm. demand. It's not demanded as much that you have to be on model. That's a very fluid idea these days, right? Because readers are more open to that. Well, publishers are more open well, to it. But I know. mean, chicken well, and the egg. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, the 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 complicated world that we face now is that there are more ways for artists to be underpaid than ever before. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so. I don't know how how you navigate this. Everyone's got to find their own way, I guess, to a certain extent with some best practices that you can talk to people about. But there are infinitely more ways to monetize what you do. That does not necessarily mean the money you make will be enough to live on. Well, a lot of times the way these things go, and you know, this isn't the first time that this kind of hashtag has circulated, no, um, but it no. certainly was the most powerful. And you know, there's some horrible stories on mm, there, mm. uh, like colorist Chris Sotomayor, who I worked with. I worked with him at Disney. Uh, he was, you know, great friend, great guy. He says he wanted, he, and I remember this. I remember he fell ill, went into a coma, and when he got, out, he got fired off the book for being, you know, not on time. And, you know, I, look, I've been there, you know, I, I, I look, I'll tell this story. I, and when I was an editor at, at DC, I was, uh, you know, working on the book and the colorist I talked to on the phone. Then one day she came in to drop off some work and she's eight months pregnant. And I was like, Oh, you're pregnant. She said, Oh yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, I wish you told me. And then she says, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to miss any work. And it's like, well, you are going to miss work. And I know why she didn't tell me was because she needed the job. Um, yes. Okay. She needed the job. And obviously she thought that she, she wouldn't get the job. She wouldn't. Well, I would fire her off the book. I'd mm-hmm. remove her off the book. And I said, look, Noel, you're going to have a baby and I want you to come back with the book, but you got to take a month off. I mean, I just, I can't have the book planned. You, you know, a new mother and then the book is late. Yeah. I said, I just can't do that. So, you know, it's, it basically, I'm at the vic, you know, I'm at the mercy of the system that calls for a book to come out on a monthly schedule, you know, and then she had the baby. She took a couple months off and came back on the book. I mean, right. it wasn't, you know, but I, I mean, her anxiety was not oh, unfounded, was not unfounded, yeah. but I mean, it was so sad that she was living in such a, you know, a state that, you know, this freelance income that she made mm-hmm. was so precarious that she couldn't even take time off to have a baby. And yeah. I think, <laughs> I think part of the outrage comes, I mean, yes, some of it is for the other things which are just sad, but some of it comes from the rates many people get paid yes. at companies that have, are making literally billion dollar movies mm-hmm. and that they are are practically like making barely enough to scrape by yes, for absolutely. creating the art and it's one thing to say okay it's work for hire so you're not going to get royalties but if you're not going to get royalties then at least get a page rate you can live on yeah and yeah. that used to be the and it, it used uh, to be but it's um, not always the case now what uh Kwanzaa who used to work at the DZ he had a, quite a few things to say in comics broke me about yeah. 
Well, Quanta did, and, and about rates and how people were paid, and I mean, sort of the arbitrary nature well, of who was paid what. You know, but at at some point, and again, I don't discount the confessional and you know getting it off your chest nature of this hashtag and you know but he was talking about how people at dc were getting paid like you know ten thousand dollars a page which is insane but you know they may have only done two pages they, it may have been a cover but also i'll tell you a secret um you know john green gets a bigger advance than the guy who did the that that eisner winning book you know um because they sell more copies. Yeah, yeah but, but I think maybe some of it's the lack of transparency. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, it's one yes. thing if, okay, yes. we know this guy's famous, he gets paid more than us, cool. But it's another thing, I think, that's why I was saying that he was, yes. he felt he had to lie to yes. some other creators yes. in order to be able to pay them what he was paying yes, them. Yes, exactly. And exactly. not reveal what other people were getting paid. Yeah. So these are all tough questions. These are all very tough uh situations. And so yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I don't have any answers. Yeah, I'll be honest, either. I don't have any no. answers. And you know, you could say people should be treated better and that's great. But then uh unfortunately, the economics of yeah. this business are such as, you know, the illustrator Sarah Afagia just posted today on Twitter that she gets paid three to five thousand dollars for a book cover, and she'll make that for drawing twenty-two, like two hundred pages of comics. Right. So, like, what is the point? Now, how many book covers does she get? You know, yeah. does she get one a week? I doubt it. Yeah. You know, but um, you know what? It's 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 not it's not a a, a it's not a number. It's a formula. It's a complicated equation where all the pieces are moving. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's definitely been some really unfortunate things. Uh, I want to bring up the one thing that's kind of uh, like, um, you know, but, and I have to say one thing. What is, what I'm starting to find a a little depressing, or not a lot, a lot depressing, as I mentioned before, there are more ways for you to be underpaid. It seems as, as new, Platforms come into existence. We're finding that we're still fighting these same battles. You know, these webtoon um, platforms. You know, we thought maybe we're going to address some of these issues because it's online. You can look at the numbers. You can see the numbers. But we're seeing that these these folks are not getting paid either. It's just as bad. Yeah. Um. The one. Yeah. There's no. You know what? Do Kickstarter, man. Self-publish, self-fund. You know, you know, that hire people to help you do it. I mean, that seems to be the way. Absolutely. And, you know, it seems to be the most direct correlation between building your audience and being compensated for it. And that's one way. Uh, if you can build your own um, credibility, build your own legacy online uh, using Kickstarter or self-publishing. Uh, it leads to better deals with publishers of all kinds. Yeah, but not to bury the lead, that takes a second income. Right? Like you're, it, it if, does. if you're going to do it the long game and put up your webcomic and keep it going and build your audience enough that eventually someday you can live on it, you have to know that during that period, that's not what you're living on. 
whatever else it is that you're living on. And I think it's great that a lot of art schools now do a graphic novel curriculum, now train people for comics. Mm -hmm. But I think threads like this are useful to just have out there with the truth of, hey, economically, this might be complex for a while. This is not, you're not going into an industry with a union. Yeah. You are going to need to plan knowing the financial reality of the industry at the moment, and here's what it is. Yeah. Yep. And and I, I want to say one uh, positive thing coming out of this is uh, the organization Cartoonist Cooperative, which has been around since the beginning of the year. Uh, they predate Comics Broke Me, but this is a group of uh, cartoonists, uh, Sloan Leong, Zach hazard Vaupan, Nero Villagayos O'Reilly, Rimena Yee, Joan Zara Dark and Aaron Losty. And I'll just read the goals. This was what was stated when it was started. Uh, set an industry standard for livable pay rates for all freelancers working in comics. Establish equitable industry standard contracts and challenge unfair contracts. Establish a grievance assistance team that helps members settle disputes with publishers and clients. Award grants to fund cartoonists and their comic projects. Very ambitious goals. Um, worth shooting for. Worth shooting for. Yes. And, uh, you know, they were, they are doing it. Uh, it's been done before, but needs to be done again, doing a survey on industry rates. And, uh. Needs to happen every few years. It does. But I, this is, I think this is, uh, you know, a organization that is definitely working towards this. And it seems to be the, the only kind of organized mm. reaction to this and uh, a good one. So I mm. really hope that, you know, their, their efforts are, yeah, there, are there's building. A, there's a similar support. and a longer running organization on the pro side. I think it's called Writers Beware. Mm. And it functions to constantly, um, what do you expose. mean on the pro side? Hmm? On the pros. pros. I mean, pros, I, I mean, on the non-comics. Uh, though I, though I, 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 they would certainly, I mean, what they do is look for shady publishing practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So w whether you're publishing comics or, or writing novels, um, it's an organization that's worth looking at. Well, you know, there's well. a, it is, as we know, illegal now for freelancers to unionize, you know, thank you Taft-Hartley Act. Uh, but you can be a guild. You can yeah. create a guild. Uh, you know, there's a science fiction writers, science fiction and fantasy writers association. I mean, they're not mm. well, really a guild in that way, but, um, you know, there yeah. are organizations, there are some stronger organizations. The National Writers there. Union used to be yeah. along those lines. They yeah. called themselves yeah. a union, but, but, but they, you know, they weren't really as, you know, because yeah. they were all freelance, sure. uh, independent contractors. Yeah. RWA but, used to do really good work for romance writers before they mm -hmm. imploded. Yeah. And I mean, these organizations have a very high mortality rate because yeah. of, because of all the, the different, um, you know, uh, power struggles or different goals or mm -hmm. different, you know, forces within them. But anyway, it would be fantastic. Comics really, really, really need yeah. something like this. They really need just a central clearinghouse of information that that is, you know, trustworthy and, and has got them on their side. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think more information is good. And, you know, if you're not the person on Twitter telling your own life story, you can say things like, well, I don't think this company can afford to pay you more in this particular case. But 
you know, a lot of it is speaking to deeper truths about the industry and stuff people need to know. Yeah. Well, there's definitely more to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on another issue, that, <laughs> that was another feel-good issue. We have that we we return to because we're kind of at the in the right now in this country. We seem to be in the eye of the hurricane of book bans and censorship. Uh, our annual graphic novels and libraries feature is out now. Um, Heidi wrote it. I did, as you do, uh, and have for the Trouble. last several years. Um. There are more bans, but we're also seeing, you know, people are organizing to fight them. Yeah, and I mean, I do think, actually, even in the time I was working on this article, which I've been working on this article for a couple months because mm. it's a very difficult topic uh, to cover, and I'm not sure I did well. But, you know, big, big shout out to uh, my editor on it, Meg Lemke of Stargazing. Uh, you know, we work together on this really closely, and uh, the whole team at PW is definitely a team effort this time out. And uh, But even the time I was working on the article... I think more positive things happen. You know, yeah. I think mm-hmm. we might have mentioned on here before that uh, Pan America has filed a lawsuit in Florida, you know, mm-hmm. charging, along with Penguin Random House and, and yeah, PRH uh, uh, and other on, uh, uh, yeah, have part have, of it have stepped in. Mm-hmm. And there's even more. There's even yeah. more lawsuits like every day. There's lawsuits mm-hmm. uh, that are challenging these bans on the basis of the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment. Yes. Um. So. Uh, you know, the law is stepping in. Now, how far it's going to go, we don't know because we have a wacky judicial system. But it's worth the fight. It is worth the fight. Yes. We have to fight. And, you know, I, I do think um, the main, I'm sure I've mentioned this before on the podcast, so the, you know, the main emotion just in talking to people in the library profession is just exhaustion. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's exhausting to be fighting these things. And because, you know, these things come along with threats. I mean, mm-hmm. you've talked about it. It yes. comes with threats. It comes with individuals having to face, uh, you know, people who haven't even read the books, yep. you know, confronting them. Um, we've seen what's happened with the drag queen story hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I, I, I thought one of the things that I did come up with from reading your, your feature, um, is that groups are fighting back. Mm-hmm. We're starting to, uh, you also show every poll shows that libraries are popular. Yes. They, they don't want, people don't want, uh, bans on their libraries and they don't want these book bans. Uh, we've seen a couple of states actually ban book bans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very recently, I think it was the Illinois governor mm-hmm. signed that and, um, graphic novels, which have for years been among the most banned books and censored books around the country. Remain incredibly popular among the general. They do, they do, and I, uh, you know, I interviewed public. I interviewed Amy Wright uh, for the story. She led the um, the committee on bans and challenges for the graphic novel and comics roundtable. Our good friends, the, mm. one of the best organizations in comics. Yes, and um, you know, she was saying that they put together. Uh, you know, this toolkit for libraries. But she also said that she didn't have the exact statistics. I would love to drill down this. She said she had seen um, statistics that even in school libraries, graphic novels can be, you know, 40% to 70% of the books that are checked out. They're mm-hmm. so popular. Obviously, a lot of that is manga, but who cares? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it's, it's, and I mean, to be fair, as a kid who was that kid, uh they may be checked out by the same people. Yes. Uh, because my... if you're a graphic novel fan kid, yeah. 
free comics yeah, man yeah. you're probably going to check out every book you can find that's a graphic novel that's in the true. library that's but uh, that's that's not nothing that's something no no yeah uh and of course what we're seeing now in this new era of 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 uh, uh diverse genres uh, there's all, there's something for everybody out there. There is. And they're and, buying them that way. You know, but just to say, you know, the struggle goes on. I mean, there's just a story this week about how a school, uh, a Missouri school board is, uh, whether to ban mouse, uh, even though no one has challenged, okay? And they claim that it is, um, obscene. On the basis <laughs> of the one panel in it of, uh, you know, speak of his dead mother. Also, she's yeah, right. a mouse head. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, and she's naked in the bathtub right. because she yeah. took her own life. And, yeah. you know, she's, as, she's a teeny tiny cartoon right. mouse. Right. And they, and even Art said, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, a sexual drawing. It's a dead body. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's had always quotable Art Spiegelman. A dead mouse body. A dead mouse body. But and, and it's just, I mean, I was reading well, about this case today. And it's absolutely, it's just absolutely, uh, mouse is pending review by the school district due to a recently passed Missouri state law, making it a crime to provide materials, a visual depiction of sexual act or genitalia to students. Any material that could potentially violate the law are being presented to the board. Give me a freaking break. Wow, it's just crazy. It's um, just. I wonder what their policy on statues is. I know. Have they pulled all the art history? Oh just God. curious. Probably. Just curious. Well, probably because it's yeah. spreading, you know, and, uh. Well, I'm not saying they should. I'm yeah. just saying I wonder yeah. how what, far it's gone. We should also mention that the, your feature includes an interview with Jerry Craft, the, uh, the winner of the Newbery Award, first, the first graphic novel to win it uh, for New Kid. Uh, and there's an interview with him as yeah. part of Yeah, I was lucky enough to talk to Jerry, yeah. who's really one of the nicest people. Yes, he is. And his books are so wonderful. And, uh, you know, but I will say, like, just the incredulity in his voice. I mean, oh. he's been on, like, The Daily Show and, um, you know, Rachel Maddow. I mean, he's been on lots of media. Mm. So he's told this story, but even just talking to me and telling it again, just the incredulity in his voice of a book like New Kid. Being banned, and it is banned in grade schools. Yeah, and, and some it's schools amazing. It's... This book is a breath of fresh oh, air, God. and it's... it's inspirational to anybody who wants to read it. I mean, the notion that someone would actually try to keep is, kids from it is not it. a source of racial hate. Oh, it is not. It's, it's quite the, exactly opposite. the opposite. It's the opposite. It's like if you are like, oh, we want to ban divisive books that will make people not like people of other races. It's like, well, this is not that book. This is not that book. It is not anti-white person. It's not an anti any person. This is the world uh, we live in now. Um, so, but yeah, you know what? Crappy. Yeah, crappy. But we're going to push back. Well, one positive thing I want to mention. I did also do a sidebar. Um, you know, we've talked about the graphic novel and comics roundtable here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ALA is next week. I won't be able to go this year, but um, I know we have PW has some folks going. The Beat has some folks going. Mm, yes. And wonderful, wonderful show. We love our librarian friends. And the GNICOT has done so much great work Absolutely. in the past up until this mass insanity, St. Vitus dance began. And they are still continuing with some of their really great mm-hmm. other things like working on metadata and um, setting up awards. Mm-hmm. They are, their other goal is to finally set up the committee to explore how to do awards. So, you know, Good. they're going to have an award that is the equal of the Newberry or the Caldecott or the Coretta Scott King Great. Awards or the Alex Awards. 
And that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, so absolutely. It is. They are still, despite this opposition and persecution, they are moving forward. All happy right. Pride, everyone. Yeah, happy yes. Pride. Yeah, happy Pride. Yeah. Um, comings and goings? Uh, yeah, well, um, okay. Uh, it's kind of a weird topic for this. Well, anyway, Dark Horse's parent company, the Embracer Group, uh, announced a big reorg earlier this week uh, because they they really... I know Kate doesn't like it when I swear, but they really... F- and um, uh, so basically they went on this, this they're mostly known for video games and I can find a list of all the companies that they own because they own a ton but they bought 20 more last year so they just oh, went dear. on this absolute spending spree not and, a good sign uh, then they also bought the Lord of the Rings rights because uh, <laughs> the, the family was selling them and you know I mean that's <sighs> a nice thing to have it's, like, it's kind of like the Mets signing Verlander and Scherzer you know it's nice to have two Hall of Famers on your roster at the same time. Who cares if they could actually pitch, right? So, um, yeah, so they did. That's a whole other story. Yeah, that's a whole other story. But, um, uh, they did all this. And then just before they had their earnings call, based in Sweden, they had the earnings call in like March. Uh, I was reading some stories about, about this, looking up. They said the owner, uh, or the, the, the CEO, Lars Wingefors, had to say that. Yeah. Uh, looked visibly shaken as he announced on the earnings call that a $2 billion investment that they'd been counting on had fallen through at the 11th hour. Mm. So uh, that was, I think, at the beginning of May. And now, uh, this morning, we announced a restructuring program across the Embracer Group well, that will make it, us a line leader, blah, 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 blah. Here, here is a, a relevant piece of data. Yeah. They came out with their Lord of the Rings game, Lord of the Rings Gollum, mm-hmm. and headlines say things like, is this the worst game ever? <laughs> and one ring to fail them all. Oh. So this may be part of the problem. Well, you know, they, there's, I don't know if they were, they were counting on a hit with Lord of the Rings Heroes of Middle Earth, which is a little gotcha game that I've been playing, and uh, that is pretty... Uh, pretty non-interesting. There's this one streamer who was playing it, and then he literally says, "All right," and then he goes, "You know what? Screw this. I hate it." And then right on screen, <laughs> he literally deletes the game from his phone and puts it into the trash. And, and I, I, I didn't blame him. Uh, in, in real time, I yeah, love it. All it was right, great. And I mean, it's so boring. If I didn't love Lord of the Rings, I would have given it up in the first week. So I don't know if Embrace Grip had anything to know about this, but anyway. Uh, I'm looking at the headlines. We know we need to be exploiting Lord of the Rings and Battled Embracer says. So yeah, uh, so now, uh, after the, um, uh, the executives of this company totally bleeped up by not securing the money before they bought 20 companies and the Lord of the Rings, and now they're gonna lay off thousands of people. So yeah. where's the justice in this? So now, Okay, the only reason we're talking about this is because they also own Dark Horse. Now, Dark Horse, I'm told, will not be affected by this because they are self-financed. I think that means they make money. Yeah. Uh, And again, Embracer owns one little comic book company and about 
and forty thousands, yeah, of yeah, employees through the yes. rest of there, uh, and then seventeen thousand so, other people. I mean, how many people work at seventeen thousand people? No, I mean it's Dark Horse. Oh, at Dark Horse, a hundred. Yeah, know. right. So, so yeah. Uh, so, but hey, look, I mean, uh, I had to report the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's concerning. I mean, yeah. it's definitely concerning if the parent company. Of, uh, you know, the owner of a yeah, comic book company. Absolutely. And we've talked about how stable Dark Horse is because Embracer Group is very hands off with them. So yeah. hopefully they will continue and, to be. And one of the things your story pointed out is that didn't he say they were focusing on company owned IP? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which would suggest Dark Horse. Yes, it would. Yeah. But I mean, how we put this, I have seen good companies been brought down by dying parent companies before. My hope is that they will, should Embracer Group go down, they will have the good sense to sell Dark Horse before it becomes a zombie brand. Mm -hmm. So that the staff and the properties can transfer to whoever the new owner is if necessary. Well, look, let me put it this way. I think, you know, Mike Richardson still runs. He's the founder of Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. He still runs it. And he's done... Pretty smart stuff up yeah. until now. I hope he can. They're still hanging in there. Yeah. Oh, there's and, nothing wrong with him. Yeah. And I mean, the video game industry is very volatile. And, you know, Kate is not wrong. Man, if you Google Lord of the Rings <laughs> Gollum, the headlines are hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. They're hilarious. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of, Lord of the Rings Gollum review. Boil it, mash it, stick it in the bin. Um, <laughs> anyway. Dark Horse Ouch. is absolutely fine for now. Um, just in my tickler file, keep an eye on that. Uh, also, um, you know, CBR, Comic Book Resources, has been laying off most of its comic book oh, staff. Yeah. And, uh, you know what? This, 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 this podcast has already had too many depressing topics. I don't want to talk about the state of online journalism. It's but, pretty uh, sad. I mean, that yeah. was, a, that was kind of a, a, a leading publication. Eisner winner. Um, well, I think about the eyes there when Jonah owned it. Yeah. Not well, that's what I'm, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. He's, he's talking about. about the history of yes. yeah. the publication, but it's a little something else now. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, there were, Jonah was founded by Jonah Wilder. It did win the Eisner two when Jonah owned it. He sold it to Valnet, uh, which is a whatever media company. Yeah. You know, they don't start anything. I was looking no. at the list of sites that they own. They never founded a single one. They just go acquiring them and then they run them into the ground. Right, yeah. It's just like, is yeah. this our fate? Classic holding company. Is this? You know, maneuvering. Yeah. Uh, it's just. You know, you suck it dry for any profit you can make and then you move on. Is this the best we could hope for? It's, you know, no. sort of like no, it's Galactus, not. but mm. for media sites. Yeah, you you just don't you don't sell to Valnet if you want what you're selling to survive or the many Valnet alikes, because, I mean, they can turn any brand into a zombie brand, you know. Beware. Yeah, they can, they can do to your comic company what uh, whatever brands it is bought it turned Karl Lagerfeld into. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good, people. It's not good. Is that all of the comings and yeah, going? Boil it, yeah. mash it, stick it in the bit. Yes. <laughs> okay. Brooklyn Pride. Brooklyn Pride. So there is going to be a very special little mini con coming up this weekend. Listeners, uh, you may know that it is that season again. That season 
being Pride season, and Anyone Comics in Brooklyn runs the Brooklyn Pride Comic Book Fair. And they run it at their store location, uh, 1216 Union Street, Brooklyn, from 12 to 6 p.m. And they are featuring Lara Antal, Danny Lore, Magdalene Visaggio, Sammy Kerwin, Liam Donnelly, Ben Kahn, and more. Um, it is, there is an after party starting at six with arts and crafts and performances at the ticketed event. It's, it's, it's a tiny little con, but it's a, a mighty little con. It has a lot of the same spirit as FlameCon. If you had a trunk FlameCon down to the size of one comic store, <laughs> yeah. uh, it has the advantage of being free, except for the after party. So you know, roll on in. Sounds great. And what is the yeah. date again? So the date is June seventeenth. Okay. Well, here's a topic. Um, it's of delight <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and certainly appropriate, um, since we started off this show talking about John Romita and, and Spider-Man. Um, the new movie, what is it? Across the Spider-Verse? Uh, it is a little, I uh, know. Because there's Into the Spider-Verse. That's yes. the first one. Across, Across the Spider-Verse, Spider-verse is this one. one. And the third and final oh, part right. of the trilogy will be Beyond, beyond the Spider-Verse. There you go. Into, it's like Planet of the Apes. Right. You know, beneath conquest, battle. I I can't recall seeing two superhero animated features uh that were so tremendously entertaining and creative. Uh explosively imaginative. Yeah. Um visuals uh, dazzling is an overused word, but I can't think of a better way, a, a better word to use. Mm-hmm. Uh it's really one of the most one of the most entertaining it's the satisfying animated features uh, I've, I've ever seen. Well, Into the Spider-Verse was a masterpiece. Yeah. It was a well-nigh perfect movie. And, um, you know, when they said they were making two more, everyone was very happy. But uh, a lot of times, how do you recreate that first time? Well, they went beyond it. They, they, <laughs> they did. did. They, they went across often. it. Uh, I, I, and, and they did it without, like, Doc Ock and, no, you know, yeah. I, I, absolutely incredible. This, this, this sequel is as good or better. Yeah. Than the first one. And that's, that's hard to say. I mean, it's, it's just, you didn't, you, you know, it's so rare to go to a movie and be like, man, I don't know what's going to happen, but I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does not, and look, spoiler. It does end on a cliffhanger. It does yes, say literally. It does. It's a little um, annoying. Yeah, but... that's a little annoying. You know <laughs> but... what? I, but I say to everyone, it's like you know, I'm old, so I went to into Empire Strikes Back, not knowing what was going to happen. Boy, you know, when I walked out, that was great. It's still my favorite movie going moment of all times because I didn't know. Yeah. You know, and I found that more sad, more exciting to know that I had three years. To not know what was going to happen. So thank God Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming out, I think, in yeah, March. Yeah, it's coming pretty... Yeah, yeah actually, they're a, getting it out there. a few months of, yeah. of indecision. So we'll, so. We'll, we'll have to just hold it in yeah, to the... But, but, uh, 
just but thoroughly exciting. Uh, you you really get a better, you know, uh, and you know, Miles Morales, he's he's aged a little, mm-hmm. in, you know, in this one. Uh, there are just affecting scenes throughout. Um, yeah, yeah that's and it. I mean his relationship with Gwen is just so oh, it's, it's, amazing yes, yeah. in this movie, and with his parents. I mean everything, and I mean that's the thing. It's like the writing is so good. Yeah, the relationships between the characters and just the, the motivation and the animation, it's the visuals the are just ridiculous. So, uh, you know, walk, do not run. Yeah. And I mean, if you can, to be honest, everyone like I wanted to go see it was just like sold out, sold out, sold out. So you know. It's it was it was making so much for something to be sold out repeatedly yeah. in this day and age. Oh yeah, with the news. Well, no, it's the number the one. Yeah, it's the it was the number one movie. And also, uh, you know, for all those people who are like, you know, go woke, go broke, like, you know, clearly sit not. And the, spin, uh... sit and spin. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, did we quickly... also? Oh, oh, go on. No, no, no. no. Uh, I just I want to mention two things very quickly. Uh, first, um, also happening on. Uh, if I'm a little, I, I think I'm going to be lucky. Uh, I've gotten the, the word. Also, Saturday uh, coming up, uh, June 17th, uh, the screening for Shortcomings, the Adrian, adaptation of the Agent Tomini film, uh, directed by and produced by Randall, Randall Park. So that's going to be going on. Um, uh, I'm going to see that screening, so I'll gab about it the next time. Do you mean the Adrian Tomini book? I mean the adaptation of the book into a uh, a film. live action film. Got it. Uh, produced by Randall Park and directed by Randall Park. And I'm also will point you to go to publishersweekly.com slash comics to see a wonderful Q and I that we have with uh, Maddie Lubchansky, uh, their new book, Boys Weekend, uh, a kind deliriously funny uh, satirical horror story that uh, kind of is a satire of the whole tech bro libertarian world of the future that they seem to have planned for us. But it's also, oddly enough, a very funny listing of really all of the awful, stupid, insulting things that trans folk have to put up with on a daily basis. Uh, Maddie makes it funny. And it's, it's clearly not funny, but... Something uh, can be horrible and funny. It, it it is in fact horrible and funny. It's a great satirical horror story because, uh, as they put it in there in the interview, uh, trans trans people fit really well into a horror <laughs> into a horror script. So right. check it out at on publisherswiki dot com slash comics. Uh, and the interview was done by Rob Kirby. Awesome. Uh, well, I, I guess the. Um takeaway from this uh, episode is run out and see uh, across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And do. <laughs> uh, aside from that, I guess there will be Um. So, but can you do the honk sound when I do it? If you want to honk, I'll find a honk. Okay, do the honk sound. They really beeped up.